Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you would like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. Say it's, it's crazy for me to think that Adventure Church has been here for over five years. Um, I was able to be just a part of it from a distance when it started and to see what God has done here and how God has grown this place and the leadership and how friendly and fun you guys are. I mean, there's like some big dudes with security t-shirts out there. I mean, y'all been working here. Y'all working. And this is just such a great place to be. And I know that um, I'm not going to go any farther in our message today without just um, being extremely grateful for the role uh, that Kyle has played in my life and in my family. It's amazing how what uh, was once maybe a mentorship, I don't know what a 17-year-old tells a 14-year-old that's worth anything, but (laughs) I can say that I'm extremely grateful um, for the role that he has played and that Jess has played in the life of my of my family and I. Um, just so thankful for what God has done there. And um, so uh, I will say that I I am excited about being here this morning. But there's something that's more exciting to me than just being able to speak today, and um, that's the fact that um, I'm going to leave my two children with my parents for four days. And so I would love to say that, man, this is the most exciting thing of my day today, but it's not. It's when I, when I leave those two kids there and my wife and I get in our car and we drive back, it's going to be a good four days. I mean, we have nothing planned in, except for work and, and, you know, that'll be okay. It's going to be just good. And we won't be on a beach uh, with a pool in the morning and an ocean in the afternoon. But anyway, so we've been uh, talking through here. I've got the privilege to kind of keep up with this series, dealing with the Hall of Fame. And we talked about Noah, talked about Abraham, and we've talked about Joseph. And this whole series comes from uh, Scripture in the New Testament, from Hebrews chapter 12, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. We know that there are men and women who have gone before us that are witnesses to how we need to live, how we need to walk out this life. And they're cheering us on. And if we were able to bring these uh, hall of famers of our faith on this stage, what would they say to us? What would they tell us? What would they challenge us with? And I love this thought because when you get a hall of famer and you interview them, they give you the big picture the big glimpse into their life. Today we get to talk about this guy named Moses. And uh, Moses is an amazing, amazing person. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He, uh, he was the predominant character in um, Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. He was the, the main person in those three books. So we've got a lot to summarize today, a lot to talk about. And Kyle gave me till one o'clock to do it, so we better get rolling. Um, before we get started, though, I do want to ask you to do one thing. You know, there's a statement that I've heard an awful lot 
in my life. And you've probably said it about some of your family members or some people that are close to you, but it's a statement that says this. That's just the way that they are. You ever heard that before? Have you ever used that statement before? So here's how I want us to start today. I want you to either type it in your iPhone or write it down on a piece of paper or something. What would people say about you that you're just this? I am just this. I am the way that I am. And this is what that would be. If you could think of that, put that in your mind or write that down. We're going to come back a little bit later and hit that at the end. But when we're dealing with this guy named Moses, Moses was a part of some tremendous, uh, miraculous parts of Scripture and history. If you um, know anything about this, he was uh, part of the burning bush. He was the guy that God charged to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He, uh, he was a part of the ten plagues. He went up to the mountain and brought down these tablets of stone. He parted the Red Sea. Um, he wandered the wilderness for 40 years with the Israelites and he was leading them towards the promised land. There are tr- so many stories that even if you're not a, a Christian, you've heard. You've, you've seen the cartoons from the far side of, of the little kid splitting his, his cereal uh, bowl down the middle with the milk and, and, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of little stories about Moses that just are a part of us. You know, even though we see Moses as this great leader, he didn't start off that way. And as a matter of fact, Moses never wanted the job. You know, there was a time in his life where he had grown up in Pharaoh's palace. Even though he was a Jew, he'd grown up in the palace of Pharaoh. And at some moment, he realized he wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Jew. And he began to identify himself with the Jewish people and he began to sympathize with them. And then he became one. He became who he was. And there was an Egyptian that was beating a Jewish slave and he defended that Jew and killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand. Everybody found out about it. And so Moses fled the country. When Moses fled, he, he went to the backside of the desert, is how they describe it in Scripture. Went to the backside of the desert and ran. He ran from his life in Egypt. He ran from what God was wanting to do in his life. But just as God does, God chased him down. He found him. He pursued him. And he confronted him. Isn't that just what God does with us? Whatever mess that we find ourselves in or whatever distance we've created between us and God, he hunts us down, he finds us, and he gets us to where we need to be. And he does it with such love. And he did that with Moses. Moses is on the backside. He's watching his sheep. Uh, and, and God shows up in a burning bush. I know uh, some of you today, you're thinking, you know, if, if God started talking to me through a burning bush, I would listen too. You probably wouldn't. <laughs> People would probably say you're absolutely crazy. The thing is, is that most of us are waiting for this sign 
this miraculous thing to happen. For you to step outside and God to write it in the clouds. Or maybe Him to show you uh, Jesus' face in your morning latte from Starbucks. You know, you're waiting for this moment to happen. You know what? Today, in Adventure Church, right here, this is your moment. This is your burning bush. God uses His Word, His people, and His Spirit to speak to us. And you don't need a burning bush outside of this place. If it is, we're going to call the fire department, okay? We're not... We're not going to listen to it speak. We're going to, well, maybe if it was speaking, we probably would stop for a second. But in this conversation between God and Moses, God says to Moses, here's what he says. He says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years. And now God was going to use Moses. You'd think that this would be like, yes, I'm ready. God, I've been waiting for this time. It's not the case. Moses had been preparing for this moment because he had his list of excuses ready of why he wasn't the guy. Like, wait a second. God, not me. In Exodus, he gives five excuses of why he wasn't the guy. Let's walk through these real quick. First of all, the first excuse is that I am a nobody. It says in Exodus 3.11, it says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? The, the, the thing about this was, who else was God going to send but the only Jew that had grown up in the palace in Egypt God had been preparing him from birth for this moment. And God answers this. Like, I know you may feel like you're a nobody, but I'm going to be with you. That was God's answer, but I will be with you. So Moses goes to excuse number two. He said, but I don't know enough about you, God. Says in Exodus 3.13, and they asked me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? How many times have we as Christians or believers who God is asking us to take a step of faith and we say, but I don't know the answers. God, I don't know enough about your word. I'm going to wait until I know more about you. That's what Moses had to say. God's answer. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is all you need to know about me. I am who I am. But that wasn't enough for Moses either. He gives another excuse. He says, but God, they're not going to believe me. Exodus 4.1, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And God's answer. Moses, what's in your hand? Moses said, a staff. And he said, well, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. That's a correct response to any snake that you might see. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. 
So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So Moses, I'm going to be with you. I am going to go with you. I am that I am. And I'm also going to show you some signs that you're going to show the people. I'm going to throw down. Once you throw down your staff, it's going to become a snake. Then they will believe you. But Moses says, I'm still not good with this, God. Excuse number four. I'm not gifted to do this. His next excuse is about himself. Oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. God answers and says this. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not me? The Lord, now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God said to Moses, basically, I'm going to do the speaking. Your mouth may be moving, but I am going to be the words. But even after four straight excuses and four straight answers, I think we finally get down to the real reason. Here it is, Moses, his excuse number five. God, I just don't want to do this. Isn't, isn't that when you really unpeel all of our excuses, most of the time, that is the core of it all. I don't want to do this. It's going to cost me too much. I may not know how to do it, but you know that's not really the reason. I just don't want to do this. God, you want me to take this step of faith? You want me to, to jump out of the boat? Here's what he, Moses said to the Lord. He said, Oh Lord, Please send someone else. God answered. And it says here that the anger of the Lord started to be kindled. And Moses or and God says this, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. God just gave him the answer to every one of his excuses. I would say that if I was interviewing Moses on this stage, he would say that to us today. He would say, God has the answer to all of our insecurities. Every single insecurity that you have. If you challenge God with questions, He will bring the answers. He may not speak in a burning bush. It may not happen in the instant that you want the answer. But God will speak and God will answer and He will give you the answers to those insecurities that you have. You know, most of the time, our insecurities are just excuses for not wanting to trust God and do what He says. Excuses give us permission to settle. And our shortcomings create those insecurities that allow justifiable alibis for not trusting God. Can you just send someone else? I just don't want to do this. I don't know enough. I'm a nobody. Our insecurities arise because we're looking more at how difficult the task will be than trusting the one who's doing the asking. You know, I believe every one of you in this room today, you walked in um, with some type of step that the Lord is pushing you to do. How do I know that? Well, because the Christian life is a series of faith steps. 
They may be little steps, they may be big steps, but it is a series of faith steps. And maybe you've never taken a faith step today. Guess what? God is trying to push you towards Him, to trust Him and take a step of faith. What are your excuses today? God's here to answer them. God's not quiet. God's not silent. He is ready for you to push past your excuses and trust Him in what He has for you. Whatever your excuses are that you're clinging on to today, God is ready to answer them. It's your turn to trust Him. Second thing I believe that Moses would say to us today is that God has the power to provide for you in every situation. Every one of them. One of the themes of God's people throughout history is that they struggled um, when times got tough. I think we could always say that about us, but in the, when it comes to the Jews and the Israelites, they struggled. When times got tough, they threw in the towel. If you remember, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and he spends this time with God on the side of the mountain. They had all of these miracles. What happened down below was they created an idol to worship because they were unsure if God was still there. Come on, man. I mean, the, the Israelites had just been taken out of Egypt miracle after miracle after miracle and they didn't believe. I want to look at two different ways that God provided for the Israelites and He'll do the same for us. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and to, to talk to Pharaoh, to, to tell him that it's time to uh, let God's people go. And he says this famous, famous line. He says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Pharaoh says, of course, he says, well, sure, take, take all my people. And he didn't say that, did he? Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. So ten plagues happen. Uh, they're horrible and awful. And eventually, by the time the ten plagues are over, the people of Egypt are like, please get out of here. And they gave them money to go. And they... Take all of the, the, they pack up and they, they hit the road and, and they're on their way and they're all excited. And then Pharaoh realized, I just lost my entire workforce. Who's going to finish these jobs? And he says, We're not letting these people go. I don't care what it costs us. So he gets his horses and his chariots and his best men and they pursue the Israelites and they trap them right at the, the Red Sea. So the Israelites have the, the Red Sea behind them and the Egyptians in front of them. They have no chance of getting out of this mess. There's no way. And the Israelites start to uh, freak out. Get scared. Here's what they say. They start yelling at Moses and God and whoever will listen. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? All this, all these miracles that just happened and now they're, they're like, oh, we're going to die here. We're going to die. So God tells Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. You know, one thing that I, that is, evident from the story with Moses that God will redeem us 
with the miraculous. For the Israelites, the miraculous had to happen for them to get through. Red Sea parts, they walk through on dry ground. The Egyptians try to follow. They're drowned in the aftermath. And somehow, if you think about over 600,000 Israelites walking through uh, any place, I mean, the Red Sea is probably two miles across. This wasn't a short trip. This wasn't an easy trip, but God did the miraculous. You know, I've never met a believer Someone who's trusting the Lord who doesn't have a miraculous story about God's redemption for their life. I think about my story. I don't have, uh, when I gave my life to the Lord, I don't have this uh, big miraculous story of what happened. (laughs) But how many miracles has God done along the way? He redeems us in miraculous ways. And you may be looking at your life right now and you'd say, I'm going to need a miracle. I'm in this valley. It's so deep. I'm in this darkness that's so dark. There's no way that God can save me. You've got the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other. This is certain death. It's over. God brought me here to die and that's exactly when God comes through. Second thing is that God also provides for you day by day. Um, The the Israelites, after they went through the Red Sea, um, they celebrate and they have all these parties. They're free from Egypt. We've seen the miracles of God. This is awesome. And then they realize we're in the wilderness. Does anybody know where we're going to get some food? Does any, okay, um, have you ever in your lifetime woke up uh, or wondered when you're going to sleep, wondered where your food was going to come from the next day? Anybody ever had that experience? Um, I'm talking about college people, like, (laughs) I remember uh, my junior year in college, we, uh, we uh, me and a couple of my buddies, we moved into a house and I had this great idea. I was like, I don't need a meal plan anymore. We've got a kitchen, we've got refrigerator and we've got all these great things. And, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to skip out on the meal plan. And, uh, that was a great idea until I, I realized that I had to like go to the grocery store and I had to cook and, um, Ramen noodles and hamburger helper really get old after a while. And so I'm like, okay, I'm abandoning that. I'm going back to the meal plan and, and, and the cafeteria. Like you, it's all you can eat all the time. And college boys gotta eat. But I was tired of waking up every morning wondering what I was gonna eat for breakfast. Am I gonna have anything for lunch? Am I, you know, and, and, uh, the, the budget, mom and dad only put so much money in there a month. I'm like, doesn't last very long. Now, I wasn't going to get a job, you know. So, the Israelites, they didn't have a desert meal plan. There wasn't like crops growing out there waiting for them to show up. And they've got 600,000 people wondering what they're going to eat. I just love getting a chance to hear their complaints too. You gotta hear this. This is their complaints. They got 
not just hungry, they were, they were hangry. Has anybody ever been hangry before? You might be hangry right now. You're like, you better hurry up with this message, bro. <laughs> they were, they were hungry. They were angry. They were tired. They've lost all sense of understanding because they're, they're hungry. Here's what they say. They, they're saying this to Moses. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we, when we sat by the meat pots and ate great to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They would rather be a slave and sitting by a meat pot and work for somebody else than to be where they were in the wilderness with nothing to eat. But you know what? God is really good. And God proves to us that He always, always provides day by day. He knows that they have to eat. He's not going to neglect one of their basic needs and necessities. And so God says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And He doesn't just provide bread. He says, At twilight you will eat meat. And He didn't just provide bread and meat. He brought water out of a rock for them to drink. Um, you know, I don't know where, I don't know what this bread was. But for 40 years, God provided bread, God provided meat, and God provided water. I don't know why those quail just flew from where they were and dropped right down on the ground and decided to take a nap for 600,000 people to eat every night. But they did. And you know what? God made it tougher than just... He provided, but He made it tough for them too. Because He says, listen, if you, if you gather this bread, it's going to spoil. So it's not going to be good tomorrow. Bread's only good today. And if you gather this up, it's going to spoil for tomorrow. So don't do it. They tried it. It still didn't work. You know what this taught me from this story? Now, how difficult would it be if you've got a family of four, or a family of six, or a family of eight, and every night you went to bed and you'd lay your head on the pillow wondering, what if tomorrow's the day that God doesn't give us bread? What if tomorrow's the day that, that the quail, they don't show up? What are our kids going to do? What are our what's our family going to eat? And so every night, they would have to lay their heads on their pillows and go to sleep knowing and trusting and believing, God, You're going to provide for us. That'd be a hard night's sleep for us every night. Wouldn't it? It'd be so difficult for us to put our heads down on our pillows and get a good night's sleep saying, man, I hope, hope we have food tomorrow. Hope it happens. God did that to the Israelites because He wanted them to trust Him day by day. One of the most difficult parts for us as Americans is that we struggle with trusting God because we don't have to rely on Him day by day. We rely on ourselves day by day. God has really been trying to work on me in this season of my life to say, listen, I know you might not know what tomorrow is going to hold, but trust me, I've got this. And He wants to tell you today, 
you can trust me day by day. Just like the Israelites did in the wilderness, they relied on him for their basic needs, for food, for water, every day. You can do the same. We trust him day by day. It says in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Did you guys hear that? And my God what? No, 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 no. Come on. Come on. My God what? He will. And what is it? What is the need? What is it? He says, my God will supply what? Every. He will in every need. Day by day. Just as God did for the Israelites, will you trust Him? I think the last thing that Moses would share with us today is that God has mercy on our failures. Tremendous, tremendous mercy. If you know the story of Moses' life, it's a really tragic situation. Um, at the end, he'd spent all of this time leading the Israelites through the wilderness and taking care of them and um, leading them and standing before God. And there was a moment in his life where he didn't trust God. And uh, there was this moment where they were running out of water again and, and Moses went to the Lord and, and God said, listen, take your staff and instead of uh, take the assembly and, and walk out to this rock and I want you to speak to this rock. And I'm going to provide you water. So he did all that. And Moses was frustrated with these people. In this passage, he just calls them rebels. So he says, okay, you rebels. He's just sick of them. And you can hear his frustration. And instead of speaking to the rock, he took his staff and he struck the rock twice. And after he struck the rock, God said, because you didn't trust me, and believe and just speak and allow my power to come through, you're not going to be able to lead them into the promised land. I've read that passage a bunch of times. I've heard it throughout my life. I remember a Bible quiz question that said, why did Moses not get to go into the promised land? Because he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. I still don't understand. Like God, he was your man. He was the guy that was doing everything. He was standing in the gap. He was working so hard. He was doing everything for the people. Why did you punish him by not allowing him to go into the promised land? You know, there was, a, there was another story about Aaron's sons. Moses' brother Aaron, his two sons, Nahab and Abihu. Horrible names, but... Uh, Nahab and Abihu were Aaron's sons. They were priests. And they walked in to offer a sacrifice. And all we know about the sacrifices was unauthorized fire. They offered this sacrifice to God and right then on the spot, they both died. Because, and God said, because you didn't do what I said. Now we can look at Moses' situation and say, you know what? God is so mean. God is so cruel. Why isn't He letting Moses into the promised land? Or you can look at what God did and said, man, God had tremendous mercy. 
So you know what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants to take our life and our situations and he wants to convince us that God is a mean God, that he's holding something back from you. He's trying to keep something from you. God's not a good God. He did it all the way back in the Garden of Eden. What did he tell Eve? That if you eat of the fruit, you will have the knowledge of God. He's trying to keep something from you. Look at that. Look at what it is. And when you glorify anything on this earth greater than the Lord, the enemy is setting you up for failure. And if you place the promised land, Moses, if you place the promised land as a greater thing than me, you will lose every time. So when we as humans think about, well, God was a mean God. He didn't let Moses go into the promised land. We've got our eyes on the wrong thing. It was God's mercy. And his grace on Moses. It was God taking Moses up to the top of the mountain and showing him what all generations of the Israelites were going to get a chance to see. Really cool, amazing when we look at it from the right perspective. See, the enemy wants to convince you that God is keeping something from you. God is mean. Have this short poem that I want to read to you today. It's really interesting because it was written as if Moses um, was standing up on this mountain and what he was thinking and what he was feeling. And I think that a lot of us in this room today, we've had situations in our life that we would say, God, you are, you are cruel. You are mean. Why are you holding these things back? It's all about how we perceive the Lord. Listen to this poem. It's on Moses. 120 years. The friend of God. Heart flaming to the end and in the crystal eyes of fire. From what he'd seen of God's desire and unabated strength of soul had kept his mind and body whole. How, Oh, how he longed to lift his rod once more and watch the arm of God slice Jordan like a liquid snake and make the serpent's tail a lake. And lead the tribes dry through the slice back to the promised paradise. Could God appoint a man to guide his people while the warriors died to stand and suffer their distrust? And when the golden calves they lust to intercede with God and spare them from annihilation there? Could God assign an athlete this to run for others then to miss the prize? Would he require a maid to bring to birth what God had laid within her womb while she smiled, forbid that she could have the child? Atop the mount, Moses sat and for a moment thought like that. The Jordan slithered far below and did its best to overthrow his faith. Where has your life been poured? It doesn't pay to serve the Lord. He fills your life with many a hurt and in the end treats you like dirt. Then Moses took up the attack. And all the truth that he wrote came back. Oh, you wicked river, you stay your hand. Tis you, not God, that stole the land from my inheritance on earth. Had I not doubted his grand worth, tis I, not Joshua, who'd break your twisted back and gladly make your trail a bridge to paradise. And do you think for your advice for me has any weight as though for any real estate I'd throw away my God? 
Think you, O fool, that all my life's a vestibule to that. And Moses waved his hands the full length of the promised land. Don't you recall that I have seen the glory of the Lord between me and my hope? The day I die lies not the river but the sky. And then his eyes, still crystal bright, old Moses, vanished in the night. No. I want you to remember where we started today and that little thing that I had you write down or remember that that's just the way that you are. You had 10 people write down that statement to who you are, you'd probably get 10 different things. Because we change. Different circumstances and different situations, we change. (laughs) But God doesn't change. When Moses had so much doubt and so much insecurity, he stood at the backside of the desert and God answered him with this statement, I am who I am. God is who He is. I want us to end with this. I've written down a series of statements of who God is. Sometimes we forget. We forget because of our circumstances. We forget because of our excuses. We forget because of who we are. We lack. And what we are is nothing like God. So we struggle to think that God could be different from us. He is. Do you know who our God is? God doesn't have a beginning or an end. God relies on no one and nothing. God holds everything together. God will never, ever, ever change. He is truth. He's not capable of anything but truth because He is truth. He is always right because He is incapable of wrong. He is love. He is faithful to the faithless. He is near to the broken and close to those who are crushed in spirit. He is a father to the fatherless, a provider for those in need. He is the redeemer for those in slavery. He is strength for the weary and he is the answer for your insecurities. And he has grace for your failures. That is who our God is. And he will never change. Lord Jesus, you are who you are, and today we think about who we are, what we've done, what we've struggled with, what we've lacked, what we wished our life would have turned out to be. But God, you don't change. And you are here in this room to bring restoration, to bring healing, to bring strength, to walk beside us. Lord, I pray as we sing today, you would answer some of those questions that we have. That we would be willing to trust you with our doubts with our day-to-day 
And then we'd know you'd have mercy for us. So Jesus, thank you for being the great I am. We turn to you today. In Jesus' name.